So excited about our series in this time of Advent here at LifeSpring. Pastor Dan's message last week on hope was so good. I mean, it was so good. And us praying together, I love that. I want you to know it's like against the rules in a lot of churches that are trying to grow. And I get that we don't want to make visitors feel uncomfortable. We wouldn't do that all of the time. And we always want to be sensitive. But to just stop at the end of the message and say, we're going to gather in groups and pray for one another. It was so sweet. I remember um, during second service, I had to leave for a second, take care of something. When I walked back in, people were grouped up in groups of three, four, and five all around the sanctuary. I saw tears. I saw people giggling together. I saw people praying for one another. And it felt like what church is supposed to feel like. It felt like family. It felt like home. Cindy and I were praying with Colby and Bob and Deanne May in one of the two services. And we were down here gathered up. And as we were praying, I had shared some things from the stage, and then I shared some things in our prayer circle, and they just began to speak words of encouragement to me before they prayed, all of them. And I literally, in that four minutes that we were gathered, I felt my anxiety begin to fade away. I felt my heartbeat slow down. And I embraced their encouragement for me, and I looked around the room at all the Lord was doing, and I felt like I heard the Holy Holy Spirit whisper, Do you hear what I hear? It was good. It was good. Wayne, do you hear what I hear? That's the sound of hope. And it was a powerful, powerful message of hope. And this week, we're talking about joy. Joy. Talking about joy. And some of us are confused. We've confused joy with happiness at times. We've confused joy with pleasure. We've confused joy with contentment. We've confused joy with abundance when we've been in lack. And let me say this morning that sometimes joy does come in the midst of all of those things and not one of them is bad. And sometimes joy comes in the midst in spite of those things. And sometimes I want you to know this, that true joy is always available regardless of those things. Regardless of those things. In fact, can I say this? It's most likely found in the absence of of those things. True joy is most likely found in the absence of those things. Joy isn't always packaged the way we think it should look. In fact, I'm asking the Lord this morning, and you heard me pray, that we would all be surprised by joy this morning, that he would give us an unexpected gift in an odd-shaped package today. I, I started praying that for myself this week. I needed it before this message. I desperately needed it. Uh, last night, I wasn't complete. I wasn't finished uh, planning for worship. I wasn't finished planning for the message. I was really behind. My wife had a work party, and she was going to go to it without me. And at the last minute, I just felt like, you know, I really just wanted to be there with her. Always praying with her, praying for these people, hearing the stories, and I just felt like I wanted to be there. And we went there, and for the first 45 minutes, I was standing around in this small, I mean, it's a nice size house, but it was a huge crowd, so it was really packed. I couldn't move, and I couldn't find people, and I couldn't connect. And I was like, Lord, why am I here, man? I should be home preparing. Now I'm going to be up till 4 in the morning just trying to get ready. And, and out of nowhere, I hear, that's not Wayne Ferris. And I look up, and my wife is talking to a guy in the kitchen who's the father of a soccer player that I coached at Emory Ridge High School some 16 years ago. And we ended up connecting. And last time I saw him, he was in the midst of a divorce, and I had been ministering to him and his son and the family. And uh, so I was able to catch up on his son. I was able to uh, call his son and tell his son, I'm praying for you. And we talked on the phone, this kid that I used to coach, and I actually think I'm going to be able to put a, give him a job in the next couple of weeks. He's looking to change works. And, I mean, just, just this connection that happened 
And I was surprised by joy, and it was an unexpected gift. And part of my anxiety and my pressures this last week have been to do with coaching and some really tough things that are going on and some hard decisions I'm having to make. So to have this dad come 15 years, 16 years later and say, you made an impact in our family. I, I can't wait. You've got to talk to my son right now. He talks about you all the time. I mean, it just was water to my soul. It was unexpected gifts in an unlikely, odd-shaped package. So that's what I'm praying for. Have you ever wrapped an odd-shaped, an odd-shaped package before? We, uh, we have these plywood deer that we put up in our yard every year, and they were looking worse for wear here a couple years ago. So I went to my man who I always go to in times of when I need man things done. Earlier in my life, it was Mark Heimlich, Meredith's husband. He's my superman. And these days, it's Alan Kuykendall. So I said, hey, brother, you see Alan built this. He's always building stuff around the church for us. I said, man, I've got these deer. I can't even hardly put them together with duct tape anymore. And he built me. I gave him, a, you know, some money, and he went and built and painted these gorgeous deer. And I had him make, like, extra sets so that year we could give them to Christmas to our kids. We carry on the tradition. We've been putting them up since they, before they were born. And, and then I gave one to Pastor Dan. And the problem came time to wrap them. <laughs> there are these big, odd-shaped pieces of plastic, the ears and the legs and tails and everything come off, and then the body's like this big, I don't, what do you do with that? So Cindy, miracle worker Cindy, my wife, she comes back from Walmart with, like, bicycle bags. Did you know that they make Christmas wrapping bicycle bags? So if you buy a bike, you just, right? It's like a queen-size sheet with fitted edges or something. I don't know what it is, but it was perfect for the deer. Have you ever, I mean, somebody, have you ever wrapped an odd-shaped package? What do you do? What, what's your common go-to? Tape, duct tape, right? <laughs> Lots of tape. I just, I'm serious, I just buy the cheapest wrapping paper I can, and I just lay it out in big, like, eight-foot whatever. Just lay it out, put the thing in. How about you? What have you done? What else? Can you remember a specific gift? Go ahead. What's that? Bags? What else? What did you say? A bowl? Like a horn in a bowl? Oh. Oh, so he brought you like a big, huge cooking bowl kind of thing. <laughs> oh, a score. Right. <laughs> Odd-shaped packages. Has anybody ever received an unexpected gift? Have you ever just opened up something and thought, there's no way that was going to be under my tree this year? Right? Can you think of a couple? Go ahead. Catherine, do you remember one? <laughs> I thought it was a pair of skis. Oh, how beautiful. That's awesome. I love unexpected gifts. I'm not big on, like, surprises, but I do like unexpected gifts. Most people like to be surprised by joy, and most of us like receiving odd-shaped packages. My wife is not big on surprises, which I love doing surprises. She doesn't like being surprised. But she does love gifts. And she does love odd-shaped packages. Hence. <laughs> I mean, that's just an upset, right? <laughs> Actually, this week, she'll be celebrating another one of her several 29th birthdays. And, um, and it was 29 years ago this week that on her birthday, she received an unexpected gift. It was a single rose with an odd-shaped package that had a poem inside of it. 
And that poem led to another rose and another poem the next day. And that one led to another one the next day and the next. And 12 days later, on Christmas morning, she unwrapped the 12th of a dozen roses. And the last one had an odd-shaped gift, and it had a poem in it. And that poem led her in her pajamas to her car, which led her on a scavenger hunt, which led her to driving a couple of miles, which led her to a pasture, which led her to a mailbox, which led her to another odd-shaped gift with another poem, which led her back to a park near my parents' house, which led her back to me sitting on the park bench with a really big, odd-shaped gift. So she sat next to me, and she unwrapped that box, which led to another odd-shaped box, which led to a smaller odd-shaped box, which led to the final box, which led to me on my knee asking her to marry me. Unexpected gifts in odd-shaped packages. In fact, you know what? This is what's really special, is I would love to show you what we looked like 29 years ago, the day I asked her to marry me. But we don't have it. And this is why we don't have it, because my stepbrother didn't know how to work a video camera. And if you remember right back then, video cameras were about, you know, they were the size of a small Tommy gun, and you put them up on your shoulder like a, you know, like a launcher, right? And you had to aim that thing, and it had the tape inside of it, and then you had to... So we, we went home, and I said, I've got one last surprise for you, one last unexpected gift. You didn't know it, but while we were doing that in the park, my brother was hiding in the bushes, and he taped it. So we took out the VHS tape, <coughs> shoved it in the machine, <coughs> and we turned it on. And I realized my 30-second tutorial with my stepbrother didn't go over so well. Most of the time, the camera was pointed straight down at the ground. And when it did come up, it was focused on a leaf about a half inch in front of the camera. The whole background is completely blurry, but somewhere in the far upper right-hand corner of the screen, there's a little image that looks like it might have been Cindy and I going through our motions. Hard to tell. So then I thought, well, we'll just, at least we'll turn it up, and you'll hear me ask her to marry me. We'll have this for posterity. So we turned it up. That's not something you want to do with women and children in the room, because my stepbrother was not happy about the bugs or the sticker bushes. And all we heard on that whole tape of blurry leaves was this sticker bush, there's a bug biting me. Fifteen minutes of recording of nothing but sticker bushes, the ground, and profanity. But I still love to give and receive unexpected gifts in odd-shaped packages. And I'm praying today that we'll all be surprised by joy. Last week, Pastor Dan reminded us of one of the best and most complete versions of the story of Christ's birth is found in the book of Luke, right, in chapter 2. So why don't we turn there, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have your Bible apps, go ahead and get that out. Now, Pastor Dan is one of my heroes and my role models, and last week, if you remember right, he got us there and he flipped backwards and said, let's start in chapter 1. Hey, it worked for him. So folks, let's flip backwards. We're going to start in chapter 1 real quick. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. If you have been struggling with unanswered prayer in any area of your life, maybe you're like me. Maybe every now and then you tend to get in that habit of, it must be me. Other people's prayers are answered. Why not mine? It must be something I'm doing or not doing, right? If I'm I'm not serving enough, I'm not praying enough. 
I'm not reading my Bible enough. I walk in here on Sunday mornings and I look around and I see the Ray Mayers and the Kent Rosses and the Jeremy Folsons and the Dave Ranaus and the Ryan McIntyres. And I say to myself, I'll never be Ryan McIntyre. I'll never be so faithful that the Lord would answer my prayer and send me to Papua New Guinea and then send me home and then be so faithful to just wait on the next word from the Lord and the next step and the next stage. I'll never. I'll never be that. I can't even get God to answer my prayer about my broken toe. I mean, I just get, you know, or this bill I can't pay. I get so frustrated. Now listen, praying more is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Reading your Bible more is a really good thing. There are things we can do that will open our eyes to see more of the Lord. Serving more is a good thing. Connecting with the family, life groups, community is always a good thing. But I want you to know this, that they are never your path to earning God's love, to earning God's favor, or to earning the blessing of an answered prayer. You can't. You can't earn it. All of those things should be our response to God's love, our response to God's favor, and regardless of answered prayer. I mean, here's Zechariah. He was a priest. He was the chosen leader of his tribe. And verse 6 tells us that he and Elizabeth were what? They were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. If anybody had earned God's favor... It was they. But here they are, barren, advanced in their years. And still they served through unanswered prayer. And still they obeyed through unanswered prayer. And still they prayed, even in the face of unanswered prayer. Listen to me. We give up on praying for our neighbors after three or four weeks when they don't visit church. I get frustrated giving up praying for my coworkers. Just because after a year, I just can't seem to make any headway and build relationship and share the love of the Lord with them. I get frustrated when I pray for sickness and I don't see an immediate healing. I get frustrated. Zechariah was 99 years old. Elizabeth was 88. A hundred years. And still he prayed. And it did not waver. He walked blamelessly. And he walked righteously verse 8 says now while he was serving as a priest before god when it was his division's turn to be on duty according to the customs of the priesthood he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the lord and burn incense and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the house of incense and there appeared to him an angel of the lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him but the angel said don't be afraid zechariah for your prayer has been heard and your wife elizabeth will bear you a son, and his name will be John. And you will have joy and gladness. Somebody say joy and gladness. It just You can't even say the word joy uh, with a frown. Have you tried joy? doesn't work, right? Joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. We skip down to 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will this be? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you the good news. 
Can I tell you this? This is what we need to be for each other, for our coworkers. The next time Katie Potaski is in a staff meeting at her school and a coworker pulls her aside and Katie says, well, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your mom's health. And she says, we've been praying forever. It's not working. And what if something just rose up and said, I am Katie Potaski. I'm a daughter of the Lord. And I'm bringing you good news. I'm a daughter of the kingdom. I'm a daughter of the Most High. This is what's really interesting to me. Remember the Old Testament ended with Malachi, the prophet Malachi. And he said in chapter 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And now here we are seeing that prophecy fulfilled in Luke. Again, Luke 1, 16 says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and he will make ready for the Lord the people prepared. I am surprised with joy this morning about how God bridges the gap. I mean, literally, the end of the Old Testament and 400 years later in the Gospel accounts when Jesus comes. And we, by the way, I, I don't know if there was... Nobody prophesying or hearing, but we have no recorded incidents, instance of the word of the Lord at any time in that 400 years. But here we are 400 years later, and it's like the Lord just seamlessly, right? Luke just picks right up. I love being surprised by God, watching him weave himself through our history. And I'm as surprised as they were that God would use Zechariah and Elizabeth. So old. This unexpected gift of the prophecy of a forerunner fulfilled in an odd-shaped package of John the Baptist. This baby to an elderly couple. Church, I wanted to start in chapter 1 this morning because I wanted to get this. I wanted us to get this. This has meant so much to me this week, and I hope it will to you. The story of redemption in the Bible. In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing. It was void. In fact, God was everything and all he needed. He literally created the void so there would be space for you and I. There was nothing, and he said, let there be light. There was nothing, and he created the universe and the heavens and the earth. Abraham and Sarah advanced in years and childless. After years of years, God decided to continue his salvation story by fathering the nations through Abraham. Where there was barrenness, he fathered the nations. Why did we need the nations? So we would have the lineage of David. So we would have Christ. So we would have you and I. And their unexpected gift came in the odd-shaped package of Isaac. And Isaac and Rebekah prayed and were childless. And Isaac prayed for 24 years that they would be able to have a son. And Genesis says that they were given a child. Rachel was barren before Genesis told us that God took away her disgrace. And she found out she was finally pregnant. An angel of the Lord appeared to 
Samson's mother and proclaimed, Behold, you are barren and have no children, but you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And Samson was a deliverer for Israel. God's salvation story continues. In the first Samuel, we hear about Hannah crying out to the Lord in her barrenness, unable to conceive when the priest prophesied good news that Hannah will have a son. She only had the prophet Samuel who anointed Saul king, who found David in his father's fields hiding. His father had hidden him away. And the prophet Samuel called him forth and anointed him king. He continued the lineage and the plan of the salvation story. Whenever God is about to begin a new chapter in the story of salvation history, Whenever he's about to do anything new, he begins where there is nothing. He needs the space to work. Where there is barrenness, where there's nothingness, where there's hopelessness, and where there's helplessness. He begins in this place because we need to understand this. We have nothing to contribute to our salvation. I love you. Laura, you are one of the most beautifully, uniquely gifted people I know. So kind and compassionate. I cannot imagine my world without you. But you have nothing to contribute to your salvation. doesn't mean you're not nothing. It's not a self-esteem thing. I'm very confident in who I am. I'm very glad God made me the way I am with my skills and my personality. But I also am smart enough to know this. Without Christ, I am nothing. I am nothing. The world wants to tell you that I'm okay and you're okay. Guess what? Without Jesus, none of us are okay. That's the good news. I mean, that's the gospel. That Christ came because you couldn't. It's amazing to me. Why does it always start by these words? I have good news. Every time we're full of fear, what's the next line? I have good news. I have good news. Guess what? Now that you're finally here in your nothingness, I've got good news. Jesus is all we need. I have never been what I truly needed. I have never been who I need to be. I've never been what I need to be. Jesus has always been what I need. He's always been who I need. If it ends, but it's nothing. That's the end of the story. The good news is Christ and the fact that he sees me. It's the very message of the gospel. I was never great. I was never lovable apart from him. But that he looked on me and loved me first. So yes, in our barrenness, in our hopelessness, in our helplessness, it is possible to struggle with your needs. It is possible to struggle with your wants and your desires and your loneliness and your unanswered prayers. To be challenged by your lack of happiness, of contentment, of funds, of budget, of unanswered prayers, of addiction. It is possible to be in the midst of all of that. And still truly know good news and great joy. Joy has never been dependent on your happiness. In fact, it's come in the lack of it and in the midst of it and in spite of it. So now let's turn back to Luke 2. And let's remember this story. We'll pick it up again. It's an impossible situation. Angel again has appeared and promised a child. This time it's the Christ child. And this time we're going to go a step further. It's not just going to be a barren woman who's married and can't get pregnant. We're going to go straight to a virgin woman. And Caesar has issued a decree for a census. And you know the story. Joseph and Mary have journeyed to Bethlehem. They found no room. 
There's no room in the upper room for the inn. They end up staying in the lower sections, the holding stable with the animals, and that is where they give birth to the Christ child. Are you hearing a theme here? A virgin without a husband. Are you hearing a theme here that they came with nothing? They had nothing. Mary did not have the support of her mother when giving birth to her first child. And there in their need, and there in their loneliness, and there in their helplessness, and their hopelessness, God again continued his salvation narrative by making himself known to them. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pick it up in verse 8, Luke 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Let's break this down just really quick. Verse 8 says there were shepherds. Is there any surprise that he came to the lowly to announce that he came to those with nothing, those who most of the time are living among their flocks? Verse 9 says, The angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone, and they were afraid. The glory of the Lord is almost always in Scripture the manifestation of the presence of God, and usually in way of light. Recall Moses requesting to see God's face, only being allowed to see the shining light from behind as God passed by and covered his eyes, or on the Mount of Transfiguration. You recall the pillar of fire. Maybe you remember from your Scripture reading that Ezekiel, Daniel, John, all of them passed out when they witnessed the brilliant light of the glory of God. They were afraid. The Greek word here is megon phoben. Megon, where we get our word mega from, huge. Phoben, where we get the word phobia from. Huge fear. They were terrified. And would you not be also scared out of their minds? Verse 10 goes on to say, fear not. Behold, good news, great joy. Fear not. It's the most common command in Scripture, by the way. If you break out just the commands, just the instructions, the one phrase most repeated is fear not. I wonder how often it is because simply it's our first reaction. We fear. We fear in our lack that we'll never have it, and then when we get it, we fear that we've got it. We fear we'll never hear the voice of God, and then when we hear it, it scares us to death. We fear we'll never be called until we're called, and then we're afraid to answer it. Fear is like our modus operandi. He says, behold, look. Look again. Look past what you initially saw and don't turn away. Look again. I know what you think you saw, but stop. Behold. Look again. Good news of great joy in your lack, in your helplessness, in your hopelessness, your need, in your loneliness, in the midst of your inability to save yourself. I bring you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Surprise! I know that you've been hearing about these stories for, whatever, a few thousand years now, generation to generation to generation to generation. It's been prophesied that somebody would come. Oh, I have a little unexpected gift for you today. We're finally here. Oh, and I know that we told you he'd be a king, but it's kind of wrapped in an odd-shaped package. It's this baby in Bethlehem without really anything. I know it's not what you were expecting. Do you take great joy in the gift of your Savior, or have you allowed your circumstances to rob you of your ability to see 
the gift. Hey, I know it can be hard. I know it can be hard. It's hard for me. I, I fight for joy sometimes. I sat down here last week praying with Cindy and Colby in the maze after service, praying for hope, and I was sharing my heart out about my anxieties, and I was sharing my heart out about uh, fighting with some depression and, and all this stuff. <laughs> Do you get this? Do you get this when I say it comes in the midst of your lack? I was sitting here seven days ago crying with my family, and Bob and Deanna May are praying for me, and my son is praying for me because I'm struggling with a lack of happiness. Seven days later, guess what the Lord wants you to preach on, Wayne? Joy. And I can stand before you and tell you this. I don't have all that stuff figured out yet, but I know God is good. I have no problem standing here before you and telling you that I have the joy of the Lord. And yes, I'm going to get through this message without singing that song. Down in my heart. In fact, I love this. I sent my pastor a message this week. Texted him. He texted me a couple times. And uh, so I was texting him back. And I was joking with him, just saying, yeah, wouldn't you know, you know, this is the week that I'm struggling with this stuff. And listen to what he says here. He says, Wayne, take five minutes to remember everything that has happened in this last year of your life. In fact, the last five years, the last ten years of your life. Your marriage being restored. Your family being reconciled. You've become a pastor again. You've changed from the job you knew from 21 years to a brand new job. You're a dad and a husband, and your kids actually kind of like you these days. And so you struggle with a little depression now and then. You are preaching on joy because you're a target for the enemy. The Lord gives us these situations. He goes on to say down here, you're an important part of LifeSpring. And right now, LifeSpring is a fierce weapon in the arsenal of the kingdom of God. Walls are coming down in the name of Jesus, and a new day is breaking, and salvation is coming. Do you hear what he's saying, church? He's saying, hey, I know what you're, what you're looking at, Wayne, but behold, look again. Look again. I love that. I love that. We had these surveys in our bulletin the last couple of weeks and we asked you in the areas of hope joy peace and life are are there some testimonies you could give us and it's been such a joy to read some of the ways the lord is working in your life one of them uh, said this i was reading the survey and under the section for joy it said jesus had been showing me joy but it has been very very difficult it's been hard fought for me but the amazing thing after fighting for it is i suddenly find it in the things the little things that have been around all the time I hit every green light this morning. I smelled some of my favorite flowers. I hugged my grandchild. All the things that were right there the day before, right? But we just couldn't see it. Behold, look again. Verse 11 goes on to say, Unto you this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord, you, for you, in your lack, not in just Wayne's lack, but in your lack. It's a personal thing for you. He came very personal. He is your Emmanuel, God with you. And in your inability to save yourself, God came. This day, it says, it happened on a day, an actual day in history. Not some day, not some mythological book, not a movie. It's not an imaginary story we tell our kids. This was an actual day. There really was a Caesar Augustus who was emperor of Rome at the time. There really was a Quirinius who was the governor of Syria. It was a day planned in eternity long before it even happened. In fact, the whole universe with untold light years of space and billions of galaxies created just for this day to happen. Colossians tells us, For by him, all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, for him. 
for his appearance for this very day. Galatians remind us, when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. For this day, God put a pin on the calendar. It was a real day. It wasn't just something we read about. And it was a perfect day. The time appointed for unto you this day. In the city of David, it really happened in a real city. It didn't happen in Narnia. I love Narnia. It didn't happen in Middle Earth. It wasn't in a galaxy far, far away. This is a real place, a real city. It's about 8,000 miles from Edgewood, Washington. It still exists. My friend Pete Wilmot was there three weeks ago, sent me pictures. It's a real place. There was really a great guy there named Jesse who was the father of David, the king of Israel. There was Bethlehem, the city that Micah prophesied over when he said, Oh, you Bethlehem, afraid of you too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth one day he who is ruler over Israel. It's a real city, just like this one that we live in. There was a Savior, the verse says. Messiah, Lord, a Savior. For unto you born this day in the city of David, a Savior. If you have ever sinned against God, only God can take care of sins against Him. And He came through a Savior for you. Matthew's Gospel tells us that the angel said to Joseph, You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Who is Christ? The Savior who is Christ? Who was born to you this day in the city of David? Christ, the English for Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, the long-predicted, long-awaited, anointed above all others. In him all the promises of God are yes and amen. He said, who is Christ? The Lord, the ruler, the sovereign, the mighty, the everlasting Father, the Lord of the universe. For unto a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. He is the Lord of Lords. Are you hearing me? It's a real day in history. It's a real city and a real world. And it was a real Savior to take away our guilt, the Christ to fulfill our hopes, and a real Lord to defeat our enemies, make us safe and satisfied forever. It's real. It's real. Now, I know your lack is real. I get it. And for this season, some of our friends, some of our neighbors, some of our family members, some of us, it's hard. I got to talk to my sister-in-law yesterday, out of the blue, talk about an unexpected gift and an odd-shaped package. Sent her a quick text. We often text back and forth. Two seconds later, my phone rang. And I just happened to be sitting down. Cindy ran to the store with Kyla. And in the silence, I had a chance to breathe and talk to my sister-in-law. I love her. She's a great woman. This last month, she celebrated her anniversary. Would have been there 29th, 30th. Married the year before us, right? Same year we were. But the problem was it was also the month she celebrated the one-year anniversary of her husband's death, my brother. It was also Thanksgiving. It was also the time when she had to clean out all the closets and purge the things in her house and go through Jeff's things. And we sat on the phone, and we talked about all of it. And we cried, and we giggled, and we laughed. And in the midst of pain, she's got such great joy. Such great joy. I know, I hear you. If you're fighting with that this morning, I want to say to you, behold, church. Behold, 
You say I struggle with depression. Depression, I've been broke for so long. I need a job. I've been praying and fighting to break this addiction. I can't get out from under it. And Christ leans over to the Father and whispers, Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? There's room for us. There's room. And the Holy Spirit smiles because he knows that the very lack and the needs of which you speak as your hindrance in your nothingness, in your barrenness, that it's created space for God to come and be your Messiah. He's been weaving his narrative of salvation through human history at points of nothingness. And when you can finally see that by yourself, that you have nothing to offer your own salvation, he says, I've got good news of great joy. The unexpected gift, it's the good news of great joy. The odd-shaped box, your salvation through Christ in the midst of your nothingness. Church, do you hear what I hear? Let's pray. Lord, I'm just thankful uh, for the things you're speaking into our heart and into our life. Lord, I am grateful. Um, And as the worship team comes up, Lord, I'm going to ask that you put some very specific things in our heart and our spirit right now. Lord, would you remind us, God, that you want to not wait, not do something later this afternoon, not later this week, not sometime tonight, but right now. There's some very real needs that are circling in the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters. And I want you to surprise them with joy this morning, God. Would you give them an unexpected gift, even if you have to package it in an odd-shaped package? Lord, would you be God this morning? Church, in our stillness right now, in our nothingness with no music playing, I'm going to ask you to just continue that prayer for yourself. Would you just pray quietly right now? You don't have to know the name of the person on your left or your right, but I'm going to ask you to take 30 seconds, and I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray that God would surprise them with joy. That's all you have to do. Just repeat it over and over. Pray in tongues if you can. God would surprise them with joy. And then I'm going to ask you to do this. If the Lord is prompting you, Would you reach across, grab a hand, go to somebody that the Lord's put on your mind? Or maybe if you've got a need that is so great this morning and you want to be prayed for, just trust each other. I could call you forward. I could, Cindy and I could pray for you, and we'd love to do that. But why not just pray for each other? Let's continue what we did last week. So take 30 seconds, pray for the person on your left and right, and then if the Lord prompts you or if you have a need, just reach across the aisle, ask someone to pray for you, and let's pray for a few minutes this morning before we sing this last song and dismiss.
Father, would you just meet the needs? Holy Spirit, would you weave yourself through and in and out and amongst? So I'm just going to invite you to stand as we sing this last song together. Come